Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Today, because he fears nothing, is Bill English, BibleandBusiness.com. He and I are going to fears completely, nothing? well, yes, because we are going to resolve the problem of evil during today's <laughs> program. The subject of our conversation, the leadership lesson from the life of King David, uh, picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 18, where on the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcibly upon Saul. Okay, that is what we are actually going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, here this morning in the opening segment. So, Bill, welcome yeah. back to Mornings with Carmen. You have arrived, I hope, fearlessly this morning. I am fearful, Bill. No, fearless, Bill. Fearless, Bill. This fearless, morning. Bill. I'm the right reverend. Fearless, fearless Bill. Bill. I love it, <laughs> Billy. Hey, Bill. All right. Boo. So, so uh, Bill and Paul are actually in the studio, and I am in what we call studio. I don't know. Do we call mine Studio L down no. here in Nashville? Studio. That works. We'll, we'll go Studio Stu- L. Otherwise, it's the... Uh, it's well, because my last name is LaBerge for oh. people who aren't yeah. paying attention. Was, it is okay. in the Radio Shack in my front yard. Yeah. So, um, but that's why they always sound like they're having so much fun because they are literally in studio together. They're is- in St. Paul, Minnesota on the campus of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. My and opportunity to give a little shout out. Actually, we don't. I'm kidding. I'm <sighs> kidding. It's mean. It's just mean. It's just mean. Okay. So, um, Bill... Yes, ma'am. You and I have been uh, wandering around in the life of King David, and we have arrived. We have. At what should be, you know, frankly, you know, like, right, he has defeated Goliath. Yes, he, has he has killed his 10,000s. Bingo. He, the people are recognizing him as, uh, you know, as, as the rightful leader. Jonathan has acknowledged that David is, you know, is the guy, even though, you know, Jonathan is the heir apparent. Jonathan's like, no, clearly David's the anointed. Um, he's God's guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna get on board with David. Um, Saul is not on board with this plan. No. And so one of the things that I um, I'm always interested to think about and talk about is in 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 terms of succession. Is what do you do when the person who is in the position, but who really has aged out in every way that matters, they they sh- really should no longer be the organizational leader. But man, they do not want to get out of the way. Now, what do you do? Yeah, what do you do? You tell them to get out of the way, and if they don't, then you. you oftentimes, what happens is other businesses crop up, people leave, and I'm, I'm thinking from a business perspective now, not a church perspective. Uh, but what happens is that usually the organization begins to atrophy, and the only person who doesn't see it is the person who needs to get out of the way. So that takes us to 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm going to read um, verse, verses 10 and 11. On the next day, an evil spirit from God, first of all, you and I are going to have to talk about that. Yeah. An evil spirit from God came forcibly, forcefully on, on Saul. Yes. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre. Uh, and that's an instrument, not playing the lyre like a person who doesn't tell the truth. He was playing an instrument called a lyre, um, as he usually did. 
Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I will pin David to the wall. David eluded him twice. Now, I'm not going to read the next 20 verses, but we could. This is the lesson for today. Um, let's start with this. David is described as you know experiencing all of this great success, uh, and that's the backdrop of this lesson. But we've got this verse that says, right here at the opening, the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. Let's just talk about that. An evil spirit from the Lord? Well, it it isn't that God originated the evil spirit. So the word from there, I I take it to be sent from God as opposed to created by God. Um, now, we know that all all spirits at one time or another were created by God, but those who fell and, and this is some theology here, a little bit in the weeds, but those who fell from heaven and followed Satan became evil spirits. And so God chose one of those evil spirits, and he sent that evil spirit on Saul. Uh, this really goes against a lot of what we believe in evangelicalism, that God allowed the spirit, that God doesn't touch evil, that God you know, doesn't have anything to do with the evil realm. And in reality, there's, I don't know, Carmen, a couple dozen times at least in the Old Testament, where God is is portrayed as either sending evil on someone or allowing it to go on them, or he is talking with Satan or other evil spirits, seems to me that, that if God is completely sovereign, he can do this. I still think that, you know, there's going to be people who are like, okay, what um, what has God to do with evil? And I think that it's a big question. It's a it's a reasonable question for us to ask. And it's one of those questions, Bill, that I think um, many times we say, well, it, that's too hard of a question to deal with or answer, and so we're not going to. And I don't think that that's fair to people who are legitimately asking the question. Agreed. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, if, if I were just to ask it that way, what has God to do with evil? You know, how might you respond in a conversation with a friend? I would respond probably in two ways. One, God is sovereign over everything, including evil. So, you know, he can use evil to uh, uh, achieve his own ends, so to speak. And secondly, I would say that uh, when it suits God, he will use evil to achieve his own ends. And so I, I guess I answered the same uh, wait, wait twice there, but uh, it just seems to me that if God is a hundred percent sovereign, which He is, then He can use evil and use it for His own purposes, and yet the evil never touches Him, and He is never portrayed in the Scriptures as doing evil, and we should never attribute evil to God, even though He often uses it uh, to um, accomplish His purposes. I'm thinking here through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yeah. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Give us this day our daily bread. Mm -hmm. Forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into evil. Into temptation. Into temptation. But deliver us from evil. But deliver us from evil. So there, it, it's something that the Lord instructs his people to actually be continually mindful of. Um, and continually seek God's face and seek God's power in the face of. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just ruminating with you this morning on this on this subject, and um, I certainly acknowledge the the very real presence and uh, active presence of, you know, a, a real enemy and therefore real 
forces of the enemy loosed in the world. There is real evil. We see it in people's lives. Um, We see it in our culture. We see it in the world in which we live. I don't think we often um, allow ourselves to be strong in the Lord and never give up hope. You're going to do great things. I already know. God's got his hand on Returning to my conversation with Bill English, you can check out what we're talking about at BibleandBusiness.com. We are in an extended conversation week by week of what we can learn about leadership from the life of David. And actually today we're learning a lot from the life of Saul. Um, And so we are in the portion of the story where, you know, Saul is trying to kill David. That happens at least three times. Um, He's trying to keep his kingdom in the family. He's trying to keep his kingdom in his own hands. Um, And so one of the things that you observe, Bill, uh, is this. I'll just read this paragraph to you off your own website. Okay. Saul is the classic picture of a man living in sin, trying to hold on to power or authority against the will of God. This opens him to control by evil spirits, embroiled in anger and hatred. He attempts murder at least five times. Uh, Saul lives with a fear of losing what he has. He's afraid of losing authority and power. So talk with us about um, how Saul is a picture of how the world handles power. Well, how does the world handle power, right? The the world says, power is mine. I'm going to go out and grab power and take it. I'm going to go get it. And so power is often claimed by the world. Uh, You'll see this in business all the time. Uh, Power, once you have power, it becomes about you. It's about my agenda. It's about what I want because I can lord it over you. I can force you to care about what I want because of my power. And loss of power in America and in our culture is often seen as tantamount to being a failure. I lost my power. I I don't have the influence I once had. Therefore, I have either aged out or I have failed. Um, One's identity often becomes tied to a position of power. This is always interesting. Watch the presidential candidates. What What do they often say? Either I am the president or I want to be the president, not... Or when I'm president. Or when I'm president, mm-hmm, as if mm-hmm. as if my identity is tied to being president, as opposed to I want to hold the office of president. It's, it's mm-hmm. a subtle distinction, right? Or I want to serve you as your president. I want to serve you as your president. Ooh, I like that. Well, it's because, you know... I don't know. Good, good. Carmen for president doesn't really work. Carmen for Congress uh, just has a little bit of a better sound to it. But anyway, well, I want have, to serve you uh, in you some know, way. In some way. Well, you serve <laughs> every day here on the air. <laughs> so Yes, um, but I am not building a kingdom. Let's be Well, I am building a kingdom, but it is not my own. Let's be really, really clear about that. There you yeah. go. So holding on to position and power really becomes the ultimate goal. We saw this recently in Puerto Rico where the, uh, I'm going to say the governor of Puerto Rico in, in the face of uh, massive demonstrations was holding on to power. You'll always see this happen. Richard Nixon held on to power back in the in the early 70s. So holding on to power becomes the organizing principles of one's life. You saw that with Saddam Hussein. You'll see that with dictators, Manuel Noriega and others. Um, you will see that once somebody has power, if they're not under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they're going to try and hold on to it as much as they can and use it to further their own ends. All right. So if we look at the picture of the, of the way the world handles power, we really do see that in in Saul's life. I mean, he really does think it's about him. He really yeah. does claim it as his as his own. Um, and, he, and, and 
he does view the loss of that power and in in his case, the loss of that position of power as tantamount to not only failure, but a total and utter loss of identity. He does not know who he is apart from the role that uh, God placed him in. Like, right, he doesn't he doesn't seem to have retained a sense of himself in relationship to God beyond the job that he you know, was called to do. We're, we're only called to do a job for a period of time. We are not that job. I mean, that's one of the things that I think Saul's confusion really illuminates about the confusion that many people experience in the culture today. People do tend to think that they are what they do, and we're not. We're not human doings. We're human beings. So right. I know you know that. So let's talk. Um, let's pivot. Um, uh, Christians are supposed to, I mean, obviously we have power as well. Um, and we even have world, we have power in the world. We have power over institutions. I've got power over this microphone right now. Um, but the way that uh, a Christian is supposed to handle power is very, very different from what we have just uh, enumerated in terms of the way the world handles power. So talk with us about how a Christian is supposed to handle power. Well, first of all, you don't go out and seek it and try to claim it and try to accrue power to yourself. Instead, you view power as an entrustment from God. So power is accepted rather than claimed. Power is uh, you're you're passively a recipient of it rather than going out and seeking it. Okay, so the first thing is um, you don't seek it. Secondly, it is an entrustment from the Lord that you steward. Now this is really, gosh, Carmen, this is really something because you go to some of these big churches and some of these pastors who have an immense amount of power. I think have lost this. Uh, you will you will see this from time to time uh, that 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 they the they fall into the trap of identifying their role as a as a pastor of a large church and the power and the trappings that come with it. That's part of their identity. So we want to make sure that as Christian business owners, power is stewarded. It's really about God's agenda, not my agenda, because I'm only a steward. So God, what are you doing with my church? God, where do you want me to take my business? God, where do you want me to take this radio program? God, where do you want me to take and then insert whatever it is that that you're doing, because it needs to be about God's agenda. And uh, nextly or fourthly, we cannot lose power because we never really had it. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. When I'm just a steward of power that has been entrusted to me for a period of time, then if I lose it, it's no big deal because I never had it in the first place. I think that we also, um, as Christians, you know, we're doing what we're doing for whatever period of time it is that God has given us to do that particular thing. And then we recognize that there's a time when, you know, God may call somebody else to do what we have been doing. Correct. Um, and we don't lose our sense of identity in Christ or our understanding of who we are as a child of God um, just because we lose a position or just because, you know, the it's time for us to move into something different and give someone else, uh, well, it's actually, we're not even giving it, um, pass along to others what we in turn had also received, this entrustment, this um, this opportunity uh, of stewardship before the Lord. So the identity thing, I think, is a big a big part of this conversation as well. It is. Identity, our identity is always tied to Christ, who we are in Christ. It is not tied to our position. So my identity doesn't change. If I were to lose my CEO slot today at at this twenty four million dollar home care company. My identity doesn't change, right? My my role does, but my identity doesn't. It's tied to Christ, not the power that we have. 
One other thing that I, I want to be sure we make an observation about, you know, it's not as if Saul sinned and David didn't sin. David sinned too. The difference is Saul, when he sinned, he just went deeper and deeper and deeper. Right. David, right. when he sinned, he did what? He confessed his sin. He repented. So even though he could commit murder, even though he could commit adultery and some other things, David was still a man after God's heart because he repented and he came back to God and it was genuine, remorseful repentance. So that's what we want to leave people with today. Um, no matter you know, no matter where you are, and no matter what you're faced with today, whatever um, power you have a sense that you possess, that's really um, a power that belongs to God. And whatever positional authority you are in, you are there as a steward. And um, and if you recognize that you have been in sin or that you're sinning right now. We want to invite you to be like David and turn to God and confess in order that you might be restored um, and in order that others might be blessed in your service um, in whatever Mm. position of authority God has given you today. Mm. Bill English, thank you so much. You guys can check it all out at BibleandBusiness.com. We'll be right back. And I did not turn back until they were consumed. All right. You know Charles Martin as a very prolific writer of novels, uh, writer of fiction, storyteller. Well, Charles Martin has also written a book um, about his own walk with the Lord, and he does so as a storyteller. And it's called What If It's True? So let me set this conversation that I'm going to have with Charles Martin up this way. What if it's true? I mean, like, what if all of the stuff in that book that says the Bible on the front, what if all of that stuff is true? Like how fiction has got nothing on the extraordinary story of God uh, and the extraordinary stories of God's interaction with people that you find in the Old and New Testaments of Scripture. And so uh, what if it's true is up next with Charles Martin here on Mornings with Carmen. Parents need to spend a little less time nagging and a little more time creating a peaceful harbor for their kids. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When our teens get home from school, we're like, hey, you need to do this and you need to meet this expectation and this is what we want from you. And they're looking for us going, man, I can never get a break. So here's my challenge to you this week. On Monday, Wednesday, Friday, go ahead and correct your teen. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, don't correct your team. And Sunday, give it a rest. If you push too hard, you will live to regret it. Let your teen breathe. Assure him that under your roof, he will find a safe place to rest. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org. Sometimes that you uh, are excited about a conversation for um, a a wide range of reasons. I'm excited about my conversation with author Charles Martin um, for a wide range of reasons this morning. Uh, You know him as a prolific novelist, um, an excellent writer. You may not know 
that he has also written um, a book that is expressly nonfiction. And the title of it is What If It's True? Charles Martin is here to talk about What If It's True with us today here on Mornings with Carmen. Charles, welcome. Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Well, good morning to you. I um let's uh let's just start with, you know, tell me a story cuz that feels like the way uh every conversation with you should probably be rightly approached. So, <laughs> tell me, right? I mean, doesn't that seem like le- the the legit way to do this? So, tell me a story about the day you were um sitting, you know, in that chair in the corner of your office working on the next novel and instead what God gave you was a different idea. Okay, real quick though, let me give you the some backstory to that moment in my chair because while you know maybe readers and folks know me as a writer primarily of fiction, there's another half to my life where I, I love the word and I, I read it a lot and I've taught it for probably I think probably going on fifteen years now. I've actively read and studied the word in order to teach it and and I, and I have a group of guys that um, we've done life together now for twelve or thirteen years and so that's something that has happened in my week every week for or almost every week for like 15 years. And so I have in my computer all these places I felt I feel like the Lord had had, you know, led me and we'd kind of walked through all you know just a whole bunch of books of the Bible and different teachings. And I mean, everything from just, you know, the need to, for daily repentance to hear in the Lord to tackling sexual sin to, I mean, just the gamut kind of runs the boardwalk. Okay. So as I'm sitting there working on novel, I don't know, I've just turned in 14. So maybe it was novel 12 or something that like that. I was midway in the middle of it. And, and sort of while I'm typing, I'm having a conversation with the Lord and it's like, Lord, I look, I'm grateful that you let me do what I do. I love writing stories. It, I mean, I, I really do. It's like breathing. But I just wonder if there's a is, can I push pause on this for a couple of months and would you let me string these and I don't want to call them teachings because it's half me and half the you know what he's revealed to me in his word so I've never seen anything like it but I said would you let me string these things together and if so will you make a way in my publishing world to 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 like let it happen and and that that's the birth that that's the sort of the genesis or the birth of what became what if it's true. So I, I I love that and I love the video that you share um on your website, which, you know, friends, you guys can go to charlesmartinbooks.com. He's got um he's got an uh what I would call as a extended teaser video about this book, but then he actually reads the entire first chapter to us if you scroll down the page, which I just love. I've never seen anybody do that. I really appreciated that. Um it was such a delightful invitation into the book, and I love to hear the author's voice as I'm reading. I mean, that's part of what I love to do in, you know, in Scripture reading is that I'm really trying to hear God's voice. You made it possible for me to hear your voice while I was reading your book because you read a portion of the book to me. And so I just I just wanted to thank you for that. That was such a... Um, uh, that's such a gift. Um, and again, you guys can go to charlesmartinbooks.com and... Um, and watch these videos about what if it's true. Well, it, interestingly, I had tried out in the past to read the audio of my novels with Audible, and they they wouldn't hire me. They said, "No, you're not the voice we're looking for." And I, I'm, <laughs> I thought to myself, "That's crazy." But then when we, when when we 
sort of green-lighted this book, uh, I said, hey, would you let me read this? And they said, yeah, yeah, sure. So I actually got to go to Music Row in Nashville and record this in a studio, the whole book, over the course of a, a week or so. And I've had a lot of people say just what you've said, that it's been fun to drive, you know, wherever and listen to me read these stories and whatnot that I've written. So I actually had a lot of fun doing it, but it was far more exhausting than I thought it would ever be. Yeah, I've never done anything more difficult than read my own book uh, for 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 the audio <laughs> version, because I don't know about you, but man, that's when I saw errors in it and things I wish I had said differently. And you're not allowed to change it at that point. Like it's already right. printed. Right. Yeah. And you have to maintain <laughs> the same emotional intensity over, you know, four or five days and eight or 10 hours a day. And I don't know. It's, <laughs> that's exciting, it's, right? Yeah. 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 Whew. OK, so Charles Martin. um uh, People love your novels. I mean, I think, you know, there's no question about that. You are a storyteller. You weave together words in ways that um, make us like pause and wonder and cry and probe and reconsider and sort of lose ourselves for a minute uh, to to look at ourselves and others. Um, tell us about the storyteller's approach in this book. What if it's true? Um, because story is a really powerful medium for the message. And that's that's really what comes through. One of the things I really wrestled with in this book was, I mean, I, I do write fiction. It, it's my career, and I feel like it's a, you know, a gift the Lord gave me. So as I, when I, when I walk into Scripture, I'm always sort of seeing it through the lens of story. If you, when you start this book, I mean, I, I started with this young couple walking into Bethlehem, and they're young. It's sort of a scandal. She's pregnant. They're not married. He's not the father. You know. And they get there and the innkeeper won't, you know, give them the time of day. And so the father's frantic and he runs off, comes back a couple hours later. And she's now her water's broke. She's bleeding and he's worried. And he said, sir, please. And that's that's how I see the story of Joseph leading Mary into Bethlehem. And so as I as I read one of the big tensions for me in writing this, it was and it was a real conversation with the Lord was. Lord, I want to tell your story and I want to be faithful to the word because I, I mean, the entirety of your word is truth. That's what it says, I think, in Psalm 119, somewhere around the 160th verse. The entirety of your word is truth. So I want to be faithful to keep it true. But how do I how do I use the gift that you've given me to sort of add add color or help help folks see it? And then I so I began writing some of these stories from the woman caught in adultery to the woman um, to the woman with the issue of blood to blind Bartimaeus at the gate to Jesus on the cross to walking out of the tomb to whatever it might be. Paul on the road to Damascus. I'm, I'm writing these stories all the time while keeping that scripture and revelation in mind that says it's really bad for anybody that adds anything to the words of this book. <laughs> So it was just this sort of daily tension where like, Lord, is this is this true to your word? And obviously you have my answer, but that was that was what I was wrestling with. I'm talking to author Charles Martin. You can find him at charlesmartinbooks.com. We are talking about what if it's true. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with author Charles Martin, the book we're talking about today, What If It's True, 
Um, when I when I say those words, what if it's true? Um, I mean, I know there's a resonance in your heart with with you're holding this word in your hand and you are opening the cover of the Bible and you are considering who it is that is the author of this and and the subject matter of it. And and there's this I mean, I can tell when you're talking about it, there is this heartbeat. I want you to just tell people what it is that you love about the word of God. Wow. Um, in a sort of similar parallel, that's like asking me, what do you love about your wife? And, mm. and the analogy can fall down, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I have latched onto in the last couple of years is that Jesus spoke about two things a whole lot. One of, I think he, the thing he spoke about the most was this idea of God as father as Abba. He says it over 165 times in scripture. It was a paradigm shakeup for the Jews at the time. They, they had no concept of this. It had been prophesied, but nobody, there was, there was no rabbi that had come along and said, pray like this, our father. I'm going to my father and your father. And they had no understanding of that, I don't think. So this idea, like Paul says, we've re- received the spirit of sonship through which we cry, Abba, his word just lets me get to know him. And I, the more I spend time in it, the more I hear the heartbeat of my father. One of the things I, I latched on to, if you, if you research the, the definitions of Abba, the Hebrew Abba, and you scroll down through them, one of the ones you get to um, says to long for your scent. And when my boys were we have three boys, 22, 19, and 16. But when they were younger and they'd be screaming in the middle of the night and Christy's trying to console them or feed them or something, and, and it's just not working, I would take take the screaming, crying, pooping, you know, angry thing and pull all his clothes off but his diaper and put them on my – I'd lay down on the couch and I'd pull them – I'd put them on my chest. And so he'd cur- they'd curl up into this fetal ball and invariably – they would turn their nose or their face into my neck where they could smell me. And when they did, they would go to sleep. And when I read that definition of Abba, I, that the Lord reminded me of those moments. And I, you know, that's, I want to know him like that. Hmm. He said, unless you become like one of these children, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. So I, that's what, and the second thing he talks about is the kingdom of heaven and that it's actually, here and now and what is the what is the gospel of the kingdom and that's that we have a king who loves us and is trying trying to restore us to relationship with him and how do we get there and so i don't know he poured into me a love of his word i've i've spent some time in it i know a lot of people who have spent more time but i do i do love it i love probably most of the psalms because king david uh, uh, it's like he speaks the things my I, my heart wishes it could say, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're, um, I actually think this book is a lot like that. Um, you are speaking things people wish they, they could say, um, and you're telling the stories in such a way that give people um, an entry point into the Word of God that is, that is new and unique. And I do think people need, they need doors. They need people to you know, to open doors for them into the Word of God, because it, I, I think that there are a number of people for whom the study of Scripture, it just seems intimidating, 
or the book seems, you know, seems flat or, uh, you know, beyond their ability to comprehend or understand. And what you've done is you've said, you know what, this it's it's not like that. This God is not distant. He is not far away. He has drawn near. Um, I would say there's a, you know, there's a there's a number of really piercing lines. Um, The wood is heavy, but that's not what's crushing him. Mm. I mean, I got to tell you, when I when I think about Jesus walking, you know, carrying the cross um, and and I and you you take me there in a way that is different than just reading the passion narrative. Right. You have taken me there in a different way, because as a storyteller, you have um, you have opened it up. I don't know how else to describe that in terms of the effect that this book has. So I, I want, I'd like for you, because it's been out a few months, what, um, what have you heard from readers? What have you found has really been resonating with the hearts of people uh, from this book? What if it's true? When I start, well, two things. Let me, uh, let me answer that question. I had some help with that one line with uh, the, it's the, the woods heavy, but not crushing him. I've been to Israel a couple of times and got to teach on this last trip. And we went down below the wall, below the Western Wall, to the Herod's original wall, or the base of it. And there's a road that actually travels from Caiaphas' house to Pilate's Praetorium. And the stones are Herodian, so you know that Jesus walked them. And when you go on this tour underground, you see these worn, ginormous Herodian stones. And when I stepped on them the first time, the picture in my mind's eye was Jesus stumbling, carrying the crossbar, bleeding on these very stones. So that's where that line comes from. Mm. Um, I started my book tour in prison. I've done some prison ministry, not a lot, but some, and I do love it. It's close to my heart. And so we took six or so, 600 or so books to three different prisons in Florida. And it's been so fun to hear email from family members who, you know, are now reading the book along with the inmate. And they're walking through, you know, chapters. I've had I've had women's book clubs that, you know, have done the book chapter by chapter. And they I mean, there's some really raw stuff in this book. I don't I don't mm-hmm. think I pull any punches. It's you know, when we we just run the gamut. And um, it's been fun for me to see people in addiction, not see people, but hear from people in addiction or, you know, they're marriage is, you know, one more crossword from gone and people, I had a girl hand me my book and say, this, this book, this book stopped me from suicide and got me out of bed. And so, you know, I've heard, I've heard things like that. And and while, I mean, I, I love hearing that it's just, it's affirmation that the Lord is in it and, and that, you know, he's, loving on his people before we released it. I just, I prayed over, I prayed over the book in general. Christy and I did. We just laid hands on the book and said, Lord, if you're in this, do your thing. I pray that you would so saturate this with your Holy spirit that when people open these pages, they literally sit down next to you. And when mm-hmm. they close these pages, they don't close them with Charles Martin and they close it with you. I'd much rather these folks know the Lord than me. So, that was my prayer for the book. 
Charles Martin, um, thank you so much for allowing yourself to be used in this way of the Lord, that his word would be open to more and more people and he would have the opportunity to draw near to them. That is what it feels like. Uh, You guys can check it out at charlesmartinbooks.com. The book is What If It's True? And now we will all anticipate novel 14, which uh, in the video is just uh, pieces of paper on a wall. And now apparently it's a book. So celebrating that with you as well. All right, friends, we'll be right back. All right, where in the word are you today? Uh, That was my last question I was going to ask to Charles Martin, so I missed that opportunity. Um, But I can ask it of you. Where in the word are you today? Uh, I am in uh, Luke with my church. I am in Mark with my Sunday school class. I am in the Psalms in my own personal study. So there you go. Where in the word are you today? Spend a little time with the Lord in the word. Draw near to him that he might draw near to you. Hey, God actually uh, is seeing you and ever-present, delighting in who you are, and desiring very much for you to know him more and more. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.